Good morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the worship service this morning. We extend a warm welcome, especially to any visitors who are, or guests who have joined us this morning, or also those who are with us on the live stream. We pray that we may all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and that God may be praised and glorified by our worship. This morning we may also witness the ordination of new office bearers. The consistory has the following announcements. The consistory with deacons will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30. This morning the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence the worship service, let's sing together from Psalm 63, verse 2. Please rise and let's worship the Lord. As we gather in the presence of God, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's now sing a song of praise to God. We're going to sing from Psalm 67, verse 1.
his law to show us our sin and also to bind us in a relationship with him. Let's listen to the words of God's law as it comes to us this morning in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or, sorry, or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's now sing together from Psalm 19. In this psalm, we're going to sing of the, the gift and the beauty of God's law that he's given to us, and then also make confession of our sins and ask for God's forgiveness. Psalm 19, verses 3 and 5. Oh, 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 
Let's call upon God in prayer and let's ask him for his blessing. Almighty God, you are the creator of this world. You're the one who called the heavens into existence, the sun, the moon, the stars. You created this universe, Lord. You put every, everything in its place, all the planets, and you guide and direct them in their orbits. And Father, you're the one who has called this world into existence. You're the one who guides and directs everything according to your wisdom. Lord, we stand in awe of that wisdom. When we look at the, the beauty of your creation, when we look at the majesty of it, when we, when we begin to study it, that we see something of, of your incredible nature, of your power, of your wisdom, of your goodness. And we stand in awe of you and we give you glory. We thank you also, Lord, that you further revealed yourself to us in your word. We thank you that through your word you teach us about what kind of a God you are and you draw us into relationship with yourself. Thank you, Lord, that through your word that we may understand your character, that we understand your holiness, your majesty, your goodness and your wisdom, your kindness and your mercy, your love and your grace. Father, we honor you and we stand in awe of you and we give you the glory we understand that this is the, the greatest calling of our lives. It's to orient our life towards you, to ask you for what we need, and to thank you for what you've given, and to glorify you in everything that we do. Lord, thank you that you give us this special time with you now this morning. We begin our week, and we do so in your presence. And we're grateful for that, Lord. We want to ask for your blessing over this time. We pray that you would, in the first place, forgive us for all the sins that we've committed. You remind us that we are sinners, and we thank you for that reminder, Lord, it helps us to know our place. It helps us to humble ourselves before you. We confess our sin to you. We ask that you would forgive us for the times and ways we haven't been oriented towards you. We haven't given you glory. And we confess also, Lord, that we've sinned against other people, especially through our selfishness and our pride, through our greed, our lust, our envy. We commit many sins that, that do damage to the people around us. And we're sorry about that. We ask for your grace. Father, thank you that we can know that you are a forgiving God, that it is your joy to continue in relationship with us. And then the second thing we ask, wish to ask you for this morning, Lord, is we want to pray for the gift of your spirit. We're about to open your word to hear the, the good news of salvation, of who Christ is and what he's done for us. We're about to consider the, the role of the office bearers and our relationship with them. And we want to ask, Father, that you would please help us so that we're able to submit ourselves to your word, that we can take it to heart, we may be encouraged by it and blessed in our lives. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for faithful preaching. Thank you, Father, for, for caring for us and for teaching us what it looks like to live in relationship with you. Please give us your spirit and please bless the time we have together. We ask that you also be with the office bearers who are being ordained into office, that you bless them, that they can make this vow before you in good conscience. We also pray that you give them the strength to complete their vows. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for this, this wonderful gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So brothers and sisters, this morning we have the opportunity, I have the opportunity of bringing God's word to you. I'm gonna do so by looking at what God teaches us in 2 Timothy 4, the first five verses. And to put that into context, I just wanted to read that passage with the, uh, with the surrounding verses there as well. So we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 4, the verses 1 through 8.
in my guest Bible here, you can find that on page 1183. So in 2 Timothy 4, the first five verses here are the text for this morning, and we're going to read the verses 1 through 8. There God's word says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not me to me and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So far. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 119, the verses 5, 6, and 7.
So the text for this morning is taken from the passage we read together from 2 Timothy chapter 4, and it's the first five verses there. Since we just read that a moment ago, we're not going to do so again. So 2 Timothy 4, the verses 1 through 5. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 24, the verses 1, 4, 5, and 6. Well, dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, today the Lord gives us the gift of office bearers once again. You know, it's a really precious thing that as church we understand that office bearers are a gift that comes from God's hand. Not sure if you're, you've thought about it recently, but it's in the time of the Reformation. The church has once again understood the, the special calling and the task, especially of the elders. The elders have been given the task to, to know God's word and then to, to visit people within their homes to apply the word of the scriptures directly to the hearts and lives of God's people. Well, this is something that's, it was a beautiful development and that had a huge impact in the lives of God's people in the time of the Reformation. And it's something that's really important for us to keep in mind also today. Because there are times today where different churches lose sight of the task of the elders. I'm not sure if you've ever read the book, John Sidema, he wrote a book, With a Shepherd's Heart. If you read that book, it's, it's about the foundational calling and task of the elders. And the, the context within which Reverend Sidema is writing this book is that he was saying that there are many people who have lost sight of the spiritual nature of the, the role of the elders. He says, in our time, there are a lot of churches where ministers are seen as the CEO of the church, and the elders are kind of like the board of directors. And then within that context, you know, the, the minister and elders, they may meet together, you know, and the reason they do so is to, you know, to make decisions about the strategic direction of a church. What's really being lost is spiritual care of the members. And in these churches, often what happens, it's small groups who are responsible to hold each other accountable. And so within such churches, then many times you'll understand that that church discipline isn't something that really functions. Well, in contrast to that, the Lord teaches us that the elders and deacons have a very clear and specific task within the congregation. We can be very thankful that the Lord gives us this instruction, brothers and sisters. He loves us. And he wants us to live in a walk in a close relationship together with him. And he says that his elders have a very clear responsibility in order to ensure that, that these things happen. Now when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it to Timothy, who was serving as an evangelist in the, in the church in Ephesus. That's the term that's used in verse 5 of our text, do the task of an evangelist. Now judging by the task, an evangelist is probably most like the office of the minister. Timothy functioned like a minister today would function in a congregation. He was the minister of the church of Ephesus. But it's really striking when you, when you look at the task that Paul describes here, when you take it apart, then you realize that a lot of what he says also applies to the role of elders. And some of it, even to the role of deacons. And so the Lord is teaching us here how to love and to care for his congregation. I preach God's word to you with this theme, fulfill your ministry by patiently bringing God's word. We're going to see three things. In the first place, the calling of the office bearers, 
Secondly, the manner of the office bearers. And finally, the calling of the people. So what's the calling of the office bearers? Well, Paul tells Timothy that the core of his task is to preach the gospel. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the word. The evangelist is to be a preacher. Now, it's interesting, the word for preach here, it's not the, the most common word used in the New Testament, the word euangelizo. That's the, the Greek word for preaching the good news. Well, this word here, it's another Greek word, the, the word keruso, and it means to herald or to proclaim. And so in ancient times, you, you had a king, you had an emperor, he made a decision, and he sent out messengers throughout the kingdom, and they would go to all these different places. No uh, Facebook, no Instagram, no internet, no emails. And then they would get to the town, and the local town, he would get the message from the messenger, and then the town herald would proclaim the message from the king with a booming voice. He would call the people together, and he would read out the king's edicts. Well, he was a herald. Paul says to Timothy, he says, your job is that of a herald. You have a message, and you need to proclaim that message to the people to whom God has sent you. Well, the first and the most important task that the office bearers have is to preach, to proclaim the message of God to his people. The Lord is the awesome God. He's seated on his throne in heaven and he wishes people to know him, his character, his nature. He wants people to know his holiness, his justice, his majesty, his kindness, his compassion, his love, his grace, his mercy. And the way he communicates that in the first place is through the preaching. It's when his word goes out that his people hear the message of who he is and what he's done, that his people look to him in faith and they put their trust in him. It's interesting, back in Isaiah 61, the Lord prophesies of the coming of the servant of the Lord. And the Lord described his task there. Isaiah 61, verse 1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. The text goes on. When the Lord Jesus Christ came in Luke 4, the very first sermon he preaches in Capernaum, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, he finds chapter 61, and he reads out these words. And he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I am the preacher, and I am here to bring the good news of salvation to you. And when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, just before his ascension, he sent out his apostles. And he said, it is your task to preach the gospel, to let other people know who God is and what God has done. And those apostles, in turn, they appointed office bearers in every place where the church was established. And now Paul tells Timothy, he says, your job is that of an evangelist. You need to preach the gospel. Well, it's possible, brother elders especially, also brother deacons, you, you sit here and you think to yourself, well, I'm not a preacher. So it doesn't apply to me. Nice message. 
That's for somebody else. Well, you know, it doesn't stop there. Paul continues in, in verse 2 there. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. It's the task of the evangelist not only to preach, but also to reprove, rebuke, and to exhort. It's very much the task of the elder. The calling here to reprove is to, literally it means to show someone his faults and to call him to task for that. And the word for rebuke is very similar. And so, at core, one of the, the foundational callings of the elders is to, to function as a conscience for God's people. There are times where people wander off, where they go astray. And in those times, it is the calling of the elders to, to reprove them and to rebuke them and to show them where they're, where they're going away from God and from his word. And then you also have the word exhort. Um, it has different connotations. It can mean to, to beg or to appeal or to urge someone to do something. But the most common way the word is used is to encourage someone to console them, to comfort them, or to help them. It's a bit of a Greek lesson this morning. I have one more Greek word for you. It's the word parakaleo. That's this word here. The reason I say it is because it could be familiar to you. In some of the old translations, they used to talk about the paraclete. Well, the paraclete is the helper. He's the counselor. He is the comforter. John 14, 15, and 16. He is the Holy Spirit whom Christ sends from heaven in order to help his people, to comfort them, to console them, to encourage them. The root meaning of the word parakleo is to, to help God's people to know God and to live in a relationship with him. Well, this is the task that the Lord gives to the office bearers. It is your task as elders to comfort God's people and to console them and to encourage them. It's also very much the task of the deacons. The deacons are they're the ones who extend the help of God. You yourselves do it and you rally the congregation so that God's people may be helped by him, that they know that they're not on their own, that they don't have to do things by themselves, but that the Lord is their God, and that the Lord loves them, and that God's people, they are the hands and the feet, and that you, as, as deacons, you're the hands and the feet that show the love and the care of God for his people. And so at core, what the Lord teaches here is he teaches that he is a good God, and that he wants relationship with his people, that he wants God's people to, to know him and to love him and to walk closely with him. Deep in his heart, the Lord wants you to have a real relationship of love with him. You know, brothers and sisters, that's, that's the heart of the gospel. The Lord loves you. You are his people. And he created you for a relationship with him. And to that end, he preaches the gospel to you. The core message of the gospel is a message of God's love and mercy. It's a message of his grace that he extends to you. In my preaching here in the last 10 years, brothers and sisters, that's the core message that you heard week after week. It's the message of God's love and grace. It's the message that the Lord wants relationship with you. 
and that he sent his son to die for you, and he did it for you, so that through faith in Christ that you may share in him, that you may receive his blessing, that you may rest under his mercy. And then there's times where you go astray, there's times where you do things that you shouldn't do, and there's times where, where we need to rebuke you, we need to admonish you. Sometimes in the preaching, I'd be pretty direct. I could admonish you for sin in your life and call you to repent of that. And the, the context there is the greater message of the love of the Lord for you. If you read through the scriptures, that's the balance that you find in the Bible. The first message is one of God's grace. Every single one of the letters, the epistles that comes to us, it starts with the word of grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. God is, he wants peace with you and he extends grace to you through his son Jesus Christ. And then it's so striking, the next thing, sometimes Paul needs to admonish the people. There's some pretty serious things that they've done wrong and he needs to have some pretty direct words with them. But even before doing that, the first thing he does with them is he reflects on the blessings God has already given them and the love that God already has for them. And so he talks, one of the examples, it's, it's one of the great examples is 1 Corinthians. The rest of the letter is, is full of all kinds of different admonitions about different things. But before Paul does any of that, he first thanks God for them and he reflects on all the spiritual gifts that they've received and he's convinced that Christ is going to sustain them through to the end. Well, any message of admonition, it's couched in the greater message of the love and the mercy of God. And so this is the calling for us as office bearers, brothers. We need to let God's people know of his love and mercy towards them. At core, that's what they need to hear. That's foundational. And it's within that context that at times they also need to be admonished, that they need to be corrected, they need to be rebuked and reproved and encouraged. Sometimes we get the emphasis right, other times we don't get the emphasis right. Sometimes we want to make so sure that we admonish those who need to be admonished, that we keep God's people on the straight and narrow, that we forget to talk about the love and the grace and the mercy of the Lord. Well, let us understand from his word the emphasis that the Lord has in his dealings with his people. And so real life, what it means for you, brother deacons, is that in a very practical way, as deacons, you need to extend this love and mercy from God to his people. If they are in need, if they're uncomforted because of sickness or poverty or because of trouble in their lives, then you need to help them. And they need to know that God has their back. And few brother elders, the Lord gives you the task of ensuring that the people know of his love and care to you. It's an amazing thing when you know that God loves you, when you have that deep in your heart. And if that's the foundational reality of your life, then you can deal with most things. As in Titus 2, verse 11, Paul encourages another evangelist. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It is when the grace of God goes out that people are changed, that their hearts are changed, that their lives are changed. And so it is through love 
that the Lord reaches out to us and that he calls us to respond in love to him and to put our sin away from us. And so, elders, brother elders, it's important for you to speak often of that, to reflect in specific ways on the, the hearts and lives of God's people about how God has loved them and how he has cared for them, how he has looked after them. And in this way, the Lord, he draws his people close to him and he lives in fellowship together with them. And that it is true that there are times when our lives are not changed by the grace of God. Sometimes we hear of God's grace and, and the sad reality is that it does nothing for us. Often we're too proud to be honest with ourselves about our sins. And so we can hear about God's grace, but it's water off a duck's back. It doesn't penetrate. It doesn't touch us. And in that, in that occasion, then don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the elders are very direct with you. If they rebuke you sharply, as Paul tells Timothy elsewhere, for your sins. That is God's calling. In verse 1, Paul reminds us that Jesus Christ is going to come to judge the living and the dead. And in the last verses that we read together this morning in the verses 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that he himself is going to stand before the judgment seat of God. That Christ is going to pass judgment on his life. And Christ is going to see if he's been faithful in doing the task that God gave him to do. And Paul says, he says, I know that, I, that I'm going to receive the prize. That I, that I will receive the heavenly gift that God has in store for me. Because I have been faithful. And I have done what God has called me to do. Well, since there is going to be a judgment, then the elders... They will call you to repent. And then sometimes you have to understand it's, it's really disheartening for the elders if there is no repentance. Sometimes it happens that we warn people. We love them and we meet with them. We admonish them. We walk a journey together. We take our time and we, we show people and we show them again and we warn them again. And yet sometimes people just don't listen. They're not willing to change. They're not willing to take it to heart and to have a change of life. And sometimes that, that really weighs on the office bearers. You're in that place and you love your people and you want it to go well for them. And you carry this burden for them. And it can be extremely disheartening. And in that place, brothers, it's, it's really important to remember the role that we have. We are nobody's savior, but Jesus Christ is the savior. And it is our task to bring the word. We have to preach the gospel we have to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort. We have to faithfully bring the word to the people. And then the Lord is the one who uses that word to effect change. God is the only one who can change our hearts. And so we can leave it with him. And we can find peace in that. And it's his joy to effect great change. He loves to do that. And many times he does. But there are times when people harden themselves and then we can leave that with him as well. The most important thing the Lord says is his word, that we are faithful in bringing the word. That's the means he uses to effect the change. 
In my own devotions, I've just been reading out of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, the, uh, the place of the kings under the reign of Elisha, under the, the time of the prophecies of Elijah and Elisha. And if you read through those, those chapters of Scripture, then the defining phrase that comes back over and over and over again is the phrase, the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to Elisha, and Elisha brought the word of the Lord to the king. And every time it's the word of the Lord that goes out. And so the word goes out, and it goes out, and it goes out. And then when the Lord evaluates the lives of the king, it's always evaluated in context with what he does with the word of the Lord. When you hear the word of the Lord, what do you do with it? Do you hear it? Do you take it to heart? Do you act on it? Or do you reject it? Do you go your own way? Do you leave it alone? And then the, f- the future of the king is dependent upon how he interacted with the word of the Lord. Those who submit to the word of the Lord receive the blessings of God that God promised, and the word of the Lord was fulfilled, and these things happened. Or those who reject the word of the Lord, they come under the curses of God, the judgment of God. And the word of the Lord was fulfilled, and then these things happened. And so the core thing is the word. And that's why it is the core task of the elders and deacons and ministers to bring the word. And that's the means that God uses to bring people into the kingdom. And it's the means he uses to exclude those who harden themselves out of the kingdom. The word is the most powerful thing in the world. And it is God's intention that his word leads to life, brothers and sisters. He wants his word to go out so that you hear it and that you take it to heart. It is his greatest joy when you accept the word and when you build your life on it. And sometimes that's a really hard thing because it means you need to change. You need to put certain things away from you and you need to change your life in certain ways. And change is the hardest thing in the world. Personal change is the hardest thing in the world. But the mechanism by which God affects that change is his word. It's when you hear the word, the spirit uses that, and he makes you into a new person, and he draws you close to him. We just sang together a few verses from Psalm 119. The psalmist has so much joy in his heart because of the word of the Lord. It's the means by which God protects him from sin and shame. The word gives him life. It protects him from affliction. It gives him understanding more than his teachers. It fills his heart with joy. He can't stop talking about the word because his life is so richly blessed through the word. Well, brother elders, it's your task to rightly handle the word of truth, that you speak the word into the hearts and lives of God's people. And the Lord give you a rich measure of his spirit so that you can do that in a way that honors him. The Lord actually tells you about how you can do it well. Paul says to Timothy, a few things about bringing the word. He says, be prepared in season and out of season. Be ready when the time is good and when the time is not good, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. You always need to be ready with the word to apply the word to the hearts and lives of God's people. Then God says you need to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, with great patience. Then verse 5 builds on that. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. 
And so the first calling here is to be sober-minded, literally to be self-controlled in your thinking and to endure suffering. Well, there's times when it's easy to get all riled up. Sometimes you bring the word, you meet with God's people, and some people, they, they resist it. They push back against it. Sometimes people, they say things that are over the top, and they blame all sorts of other people, and they're not willing to take responsibility for themselves. And sometimes people lack wisdom and good judgment. And the natural reaction is to give it back to people, to give it to them the way they've gave it, given it to you. And the Lord says you can't do that. He says that's not on. He says you are to be self-controlled, and you are to be patient, and you are to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. Remind you of what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, and correcting his opponents with gentleness. It's faithful teaching with a spirit of self-control, patience, and gentleness. It's when the word goes out with the right spirit, then we can hear it, we can understand it, and we can take it to heart, and we can build our lives on it. Well, thankfully, we don't have to do that in our own strength, brothers. When our Lord Jesus came to this earth, then that's the life that he lived. He had great patience with his opponents. There are some people who, who hated him, who were opposed to him, who attacked him, who mocked him, who reviled him. In the end, they ended up betraying him and crucifying him. And yet in the midst of all that, he did the most powerful thing ever. He patiently and he lovingly spoke words of truth to them. He's very patient, and he's very gentle in his dealings with the people. But when you speak the truth in love, then people can hear it, then they can take it to heart, they can understand. Well, it shows how much we need a relationship with Jesus Christ, brothers. It shows how much we need to depend upon him ourselves. The only way that we can be a blessing for God's people is if we himself have an intimate relationship with our Savior. It was back in 1 Timothy 4.15 that the Apostle Paul taught Timothy about this. After telling him to be faithful in preaching and teaching, then he continued, he said, practice these things, devote yourself to them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so the first place God says, keep a close watch on yourselves. And then alongside this calling to the office bearers, brothers and sisters, there's also a calling that the Lord gives to us as his people. In between these verses where the elders and deacons and ministers is addressed, there are these, these verses that the Lord also addresses to us. God makes a sobering comment about why it's so important for the office bearers to be faithful in their task. He says in the verses 4 and 5, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
Some people are not going to listen. People will not endure sound teaching. The minister says something off the pulpit that strikes pretty close to home. And some people take offense. And they don't like it. And there's a part of their heart that closes to the message of the gospel. Well, that's a really dangerous place to be. Sometimes an office bearer comes and he probes a little bit. He knows a little bit about you. He knows the strengths and weaknesses. He's built up a relationship with you over time. And so he knows a little bit where it's at. And he asks a few questions, some direct questions about some sensitive topic in your life. It's possible to get really perturbed by that, to get turned off by that. You're too proud for them to ask you questions about your weaknesses, and then you get mad at them. And the danger there is that you're not willing to endure sound teaching. You're not willing to listen. Well, sometimes it happens that the elders have it wrong. That's often the response. Why are you saying something like that? You don't know you. That happens. Sometimes it happens. It's not the most common thing. Usually what happens is that we don't like what they're saying because it does strike too close to home. And then we get upset with them. And we're not willing to listen. The Lord... He doesn't want it for you, brothers and sisters. In the end, the word is the means that he uses to bind you close to him. He is your God, and he loves you. And he knows that if you don't accept it, that you wander off, you wander away. If you can't hear what your office bearers are saying, if you can't accept it, then many times people drift further and further. And the Apostle Paul, this is the key theme of the letters that he writes to Timothy. If you sit down, if you read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy together, if you go through these letters, if you really take them, take them apart and, and listen to them, especially in one sitting, that it's so striking how often Paul speaks about this. He says, whatever happens, don't get caught in endless genealogies, don't get caught in discussions about myths, about Jewish, old Jewish tales, about all sorts of other things. People will lead you into all sorts of other things that are apart from the gospel. He says, those things end nowhere. He talks about a bunch of people, about Hymenaeus and Alexander. They heard the word, they weren't willing to accept it, and they left the faith. And so Paul tells the people, he says, watch out that that doesn't happen to you. And he tells the office bearers, make sure that you are faithful in bringing the word. The Lord loves his people and he wants relationship with them. And that happens when we hear the word and when we accept it. Then we have unity with Christ and then we have unity with each other. And that builds up the church of God. The Lord's intention through his office bearers is that there may be love and unity among you as his people, brothers and sisters. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he came into this world in order to rescue his people for himself. The way that he did his task is by relying on the word. He strengthened himself through the word. The devil attacks him, tempts him to sin, and Christ uses the word in order to resist that sin. And then through the course of his ministry, Christ often spoke about how he did certain things in fulfillment of the word. 
He understood his task by knowing the word, by being grounded in the word. And when people attacked and opposed him with different things, then he spoke the word to them. And it's so much so that he himself is the word. He is the final revelation. He is the final word of God to his people. And so he is the one who used the word and who was the word in order to, to bring his people in relationship with himself. And so now what he, what he calls us to do is he calls us to relationship with himself. God says, I want relationship with you. And he says, at core, he says, that's through the word. And then don't forget that the word focuses on Jesus Christ. Don't forget that Christ is the word of God. He is the final revelation that God uses to bring you to himself. And so the foundational call of the office bearers is to direct people to Christ, to who he is, to what he has done. It's when we know Christ, when we understand what he has done on our behalf, that the Lord uses that to draw us to himself. And so brother elders and also brothers and sisters in the church, the Lord is calling you to love the word. He's calling you to submit to the word. On a personal level, read the scriptures. Read a few verses, read a chapter, read a whole book. Meditate on the word. Take some time where you think about what God says. If you're doing it in a family, then, then take a few moments after you read a passage and talk about it together. What struck you? And what is God really saying here? What impact does that have on my life today? What does that show about the character of God? And memorize the scriptures. Take some of the verses that really strike you and commit them to memory and call them to mind at the key moments of life. It's by means of the word that the Lord draws you to relationship with himself. He reveals his love and his kindness, his grace and his mercy in Christ to you. It's through the word that you walk in intimacy and that his life flows into your life that you can have the rich and the full of the abundant life that you long for. May the Lord give us his spirit. Ask for the spirit of Christ. Then humble yourself under the word. And together, may the Lord lead us to love and unity under Christ. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 24, the verses 1, 4, and 5. Thank you.
to the ordination of elders and deacons. To that end, we're first going to read together the form for the ordination of the elders and deacons as you find that on page 624 of your book of praise. You're welcome to follow along if you wish. Page 624. The Consistory has now twice published the names of brothers who were elected and appointed to the office of elder and deacon in this church to learn if anyone had objections to their ordination. Since no one has brought forward anything lawful against their doctrine and life, we shall now, in the name of the Lord, proceed to their ordination. Let's first hear what the Holy Scripture teaches us about the offices of elders and deacons. Already in the Old Dispensation, the people of God enjoyed the leadership and guidance of elders. The Lord told Moses to gather the elders of Israel together in Egypt and to inform them of his promises to deliver them from bondage. While these elders were with Moses in the desert, the Lord told him to select from their midst 70 men to bear the burden of the people with him. Together with, the, with Moses, these elders had authority to command the people. At the end of his ministry, Moses gave to all the elders of Israel the law to rule God's people. Once in the promised land, these elders fulfilled their calling in every city. In his unceasing care for his flock, the Good Shepherd called apostles to be the foundation of his Catholic Church. The elders in turn appointed elders, sorry, the apostles in turn appointed elders in every church with the cooperation of the congregation. Apostles and elders gathered together to take decisions to which the churches had to submit. Paul charged the overseers to take heed to the flock in which the Holy Spirit had made them guardians. Peter admonished the elders to be shepherds of God's flock that is under their care. In his epistle to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul addressed the saints together with the overseers and deacons. In order that these offices might remain, he also gave his fellow workers detailed instructions for selecting brothers to these offices of overseers and deacons. He directed Titus to appoint elders in every town. The New Testament calls these office bearers not only presbyters or elders, but also bishops or overseers, as well as shepherds or guardians. The office of elder is therefore one of authority given by Christ. Elders are to fulfill their duties 
by reminding God's people of his ordinances, and by exercising discipline over the disobedient, by caring for the flock and defending the sheep against the dangers that threaten them. As for their mandate, the task of the elders is together with the minister of the word to have supervision over Christ's church, that every member may conduct himself properly in doctrine and life according to the gospel. For this purpose, they shall faithfully visit the members of the congregation in their homes to comfort, instruct, and admonish them with the word of God, reproving those who behave improperly. They shall exercise Christian discipline according to the command of Christ against those who show themselves unbelieving and ungodly and refuse to repent. They shall watch that the sacraments are not profaned. Second, being stewards of the house of God, they are to take care that in the congregation all things are done decently and in good order. For this purpose, they form, together with the minister of the word, the consistory of the church. Together, they shepherd God's flock that is under their care. They must prevent anyone from serving in the church without having been lawfully called. Third, it is their duty to assist the ministers of the word with good counsel and advice. They are also charged with the supervision over the doctrine and conduct of these fellow servants. They shall permit no strange teaching, so that in every respect the congregation is edified by the pure doctrine of the gospel. Therefore, they must watch diligently that no wolves enter the sheepfold of the good shepherd. To do their work well as shepherds of God's flock, the overseers should train themselves in godliness and diligently search the scriptures, which are profitable in every respect, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Concerning the ministry of mercy assigned to the deacons, the Lord impressed upon his people Israel the obligation to show mercy to the needy. God repeatedly commanded that the sojourners, the fatherless, and the widow might eat within their towns and be filled. In the old dispensation, the needy and suffering were protected and provided for by God's fatherly love. His ordinances taught the covenant people to imitate that love as beloved children. The Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us the Father, came into the world to serve. In his mercy, he fed the hungry, healed the sick, and showed compassion to the afflicted. Thus he gave an example that his church should do likewise. The ministry of mercy is assigned to the deacons, proceeds therefore from this love of our Savior. After the example of our Lord, the first Christian congregation took care that no one in her midst suffered want. To each was distributed according to need. Also today, the Lord calls on us to show hospitality, generosity, and mercy, so that the weak and needy may share abundantly in the joy of God's people. No one in the congregation of Christ may live uncomforted under the pressure of sickness, loneliness, and poverty. For the sake of this service of love, Christ has given deacons to his church. When the apostles realized that they would have to give up preaching the word of God if they had to devote their full attention to the daily support of the needy, they assigned this duty to seven brothers chosen by the congregation. It is therefore the responsibility of the deacons to see to the good progress of this service of charity in the church. They shall acquaint themselves with existing needs and difficulties and exhort the members of Christ's body to show mercy. They shall gather and manage the offerings and distribute them in Christ's name according to need. 
They're called to encourage and comfort with the word of God those who receive the, the gifts of Christ's love. They shall pro promote with word and deed the unity and fellowship in the Holy Spirit which the congregation enjoys at the table of the Lord. In this way, God's children will increase in love to one another and to all men. Can I now ask the brothers to please rise? Beloved brothers, you're about to enter into your respective offices. We request that you answer the following questions before God and his holy church. First, do you feel in your hearts that God himself through this congregation has called you to these offices? Second, do you believe the Old and New Testament to be the only word of God and the complete doctrine of salvation? Do you reject all doctrines conflicting with it? Third, do you promise to discharge faithfully the duties of your office and to adorn it with a godly life, you elders in the government of the church and you deacons in the ministry of mercy? Do you also promise to submit to the discipline of the church in case you become delinquent in doctrine or life? Brother Mulder, what is your answer? I do. Brother Husinga, what is your answer? I do. Brother Osthausen, what is your answer? I do. Brother Van Dongen, what is your answer? I do. Brother Everts, what is your answer? I do. And Brother Bohaus, what is your answer? I do. The Almighty God and Father grant you His grace that you may faithfully and fruitfully discharge your offices. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you're invited at this time to rise. We're all going to sing together from Psalm 134, verse 3. shepherds of God's flock and faithful watchmen over the house of God, be diligent in governing the church, in comforting the distressed, and in admonishing the wayward. Take heed that the congregation abide by the pure doctrine and lead a godly life. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And you deacons, be faithful and diligent in gathering of gifts and distribute them cheerfully to those who need assistance, especially to the widows and orphans. Encourage the congregation to do good to all men, 
especially to those of the household of faith. Support those who are burdened with cares or who are lonely. Giving your ministry of mercy a good example to the congregation of the service to which all are called by Christ Jesus. Be all with one accord faithful in your offices. Hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. If you serve well, you will gain a good standing for yourselves, always having great confidence in the faith with it, which is in Christ Jesus, and finally you will enter into the joy of your master. On the other hand, beloved brothers and sisters, receive these men as servants of Christ. Respect the overseers who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Take care that the deacons have sufficient means to do their ministry. Be good stewards of all that God has entrusted to you. Remember Christ, your example, in serving the Church of God. Since we're unable to do this of ourselves, let's now call upon the Lord our God in prayer. And then, brothers and sisters, sorry, I should mention to you as well, there's one other matter we're going to remember in prayer, and that's also our sister Joyce Youngling. She's scheduled for surgery tomorrow. So ask God for a blessing for her as well. Let us pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, it pleases you for the edification of your church to ordain overseers and deacons besides ministers of the word. We thank you that you give us men who are endowed with your Holy Spirit. Grant them more and more the gifts they need, wisdom, courage, discretion, and mercy, so that each of them may fulfill his office as is pleasing to you. Give your grace to both elders and deacons that they may persevere in faithful service without being hindered by trouble and sorrow or by persecution of the world. Grant that this congregation over whom you have set them may submit willingly to the good exhortation of the overseers and esteem them in love because of their work. Give us ardent love for each other, Father. Grant that we may cheerfully provide for the deacons with sufficient means so that the needy may be liberally supplied. We pray that by the faithful service of everyone, the kingdom of your Son may come, and your name be glorified, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And Father in heaven, we pray for a blessing over the brothers as they administer your word among your people. Give us all great respect for your word. Help us to understand, Father, that it is by means of your word that the Spirit works faith in our hearts, that we depend upon the Lord Jesus, and that we're drawn in relationship with you. Grant that we may bring your word in such a way that your people may hear it. Give us a spirit of patience, of self-control, of gentleness. Grant that we have wisdom and discretion, that we're able to rightly apply your word to the hearts and lives of your people, that we may do it in such a way that your people can hear what you have to say to them. And that we pray, Father, that when we hear the word, that we may have the humility to accept it, that we submit ourselves to you, and that we, that we change if that's needed. Thank you so much, Lord, for the love that you show us. 
Thank you for the grace that you extend us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for binding us together within a congregation and forgiving us to one another. And thank you for the love that, that you put in our hearts for each other, that we can encourage and give life to one another. Lord, we ask that, that we may speak good words, words of grace, that we can encourage each other up, that there may be a beautiful spirit of love and unity among us. This is your work, Lord. Lord. It's from your spirit. It comes through your word. And so we give you glory. We trust that you will do it for us. We also pray, Father, that you take care of each one of us in the different circumstances of our lives. When we are grieving, Father, we pray that you would encourage us with your word, that you comfort us with the promises of the resurrection. Father, when we are sick, we pray that we may take your word to heart and trust in you, that you are the Lord, and that you have it in hand, that you love us, and that you will work things out for us. We pray, Lord, that you would please bless our sister Joyce Youngling. She's scheduled for surgery tomorrow. We want to ask for a blessing over the work of the doctors. Grant that they can do the work that's needed. And please grant your blessing over our sister, that she can be helped by that, and that she can heal well, and that things may go well for her. Father, please take care of all those who are under doctor's care and who are healing from, from various ailments and, and operations. Thank you for, for being our God. Thank you that you are the healer of your people, that it is your joy to, to give restored health and blessing once again. And we, we look to you for help. We also pray, Father, that you be dear to those among us who, who are elderly and who face the breakdown of the body, who look forward to the time of, of renewed, renewed life and, and renewed health. Sometimes we, we're at the place where we realize it's not gonna happen in this life anymore. And then we set our hearts on the eternal life that is in store for us. We pray, Lord, that you be near to those who need you in special ways. Think especially of our brother, our brother Scoof. We ask, Lord, that you be a father to him, that you surround him with your love and care. Brother's getting older and, and he faces a lot of, of difficulties in his lives. His health is deteriorating and we pray that you would be a father to him, that you carry him through this. Thank you for the peace of heart that he and his wife may have. And thank you for the love that you surround them with. Please also be near to, to all the others in our church who, who need you in special ways. Father, thank you for, for giving us this day for the rest. Thank you that we have the opportunity to meet together and have fellowship with one another. Bless our fellowship, Lord. Grant that we may be encouraged by each other and, and by the, the gifts that you've given to one another. Please bring us back safely here again this afternoon. And please do it all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. The collection this morning is for the, for the mission work in P&G. I'd like to read with you just a, a few verses about the, um, the work that God did in, in providing for his people in, in earlier times. The Apostle Paul, he, he talks about the, um, the work of, of sharing with those who are in need so that the gospel goes out and helping those who have need. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So the brothers in the churches of Macedonia, they, they recognized the need of the churches in Jerusalem. And so they thought it was a, a great blessing to share the hope of the gospel or to share the blessings that they've been given together with them. 
Well, you have the opportunity to do now the same thing for the brothers and sisters in P&G. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 50, the verses 1 through 4.
receive now the blessing of the Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.